You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Talofalava, bulavanaka, malo, malo lalei, kiorana, chu, g'day. And welcome to everybody from Life. And if you've uh, slipped along this morning, you've come with family or an uncle or an auntie or a nephew or a niece or someone, a work colleague's brought you along, fantastic to have you here. And we pray that you would uh, enjoy your time with us this morning. Um, just uh, letting you know that uh, we're going to be, you're not going to be seeing us around here for a little while because we've got our um, long service leave coming up. Uh, Carl and I have been on staff for eight or nine years now, so we have a bit of an extended holiday coming up, which we're really looking forward to. So we're heading off uh, to the Coromandel, we're a family beach place down there. So I'm already, I'm just thinking water holes, I'm thinking of bombs off the you know, bridge there, ice creams, barbecues, body surfing, kettlebells, beaches, running through the bush, family, friends, afternoon sleeps in the, under a pahutakawa tree. <laughs> oh, just smelling that salt air already. So, um, so we head off on Tuesday, actually, for a bit of an extended leave. Uh, we're coming back for Christmas, and uh, so we might slip into one of the Christmas services here. So, uh, uh, so if you don't see us around for a little while, we haven't backslidden. We haven't gone anywhere. We're just off um, soaking up the rays and body surfing and just having a good time. And then uh, mid-January, our kids go to Epic Camp. Uh, highlight of our kids' year, honestly. They just rave about it, look forward to it all year. So they're teenagers, they're going off to Epic Camp. So if you've got teenage kids and you haven't signed them up, please don't miss. It's just a fantastic uh, investment into your kids. Best environment I think you can get your kids into. Uh, hundreds of kids down in Narawahi are there. Fantastic camp. And, um, and while they're away, I get to celebrate 20 years, 20 years being married to my wonderful bride, Coral. And so we get to have a few days without any distraction and kids, and we can just relax and get ready for our next season of life. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, at our home, Coral already has been putting up Christmas trees. I'm like, honey, what are you doing that for? We're going to be away on our sabbatical. What are you? But she, you know, she's got the Michael Bublé playing in the background and the decorations and this and running around buying presents for this person and that person and wrapping and little cards and... Praise the Lord, that woman are gifted that way, amen. <laughs> I'm like, Christmas time, yep, whack a sausage on the barbecue, it's all good, you know, <laughs> get some tomato sauce there and, you know, keep it simple. But uh, I always appreciate when it comes Christmas Day and everything is done very nicely and there's gifts for everyone, I feel, oh, thank the Lord, I've got a good wife. So um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, lots to look forward to in the Bond family, and I trust you have as well, and I've got lots of good memories of Christmas time growing up. I had a mum that was much like a coral and very, you know, good with Christmas and, and all the decorations and family and grandparents and uh, so many good memories. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you look forward to you know, meeting Santa Claus and getting, getting up in the morning and having your Santa sack and getting your presents. Uh, I got saved uh, when I was uh, 16 years old. It was my sixth form year at Selwyn College, year 12, I believe. And, uh, and I begin to realize that obviously Christmas is a whole lot more. I mean, I knew that it was about Jesus coming to earth, but it didn't really have any impact on my life until I became a Christian. And the greatest event in the history of humanity is undoubtedly the time when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But that would not be possible if it wasn't, you know, 33 years earlier, Jesus being born. And at Christmas, we celebrate all around the world, millions and millions, billions of people celebrate the time when the invisible, eternal, infinite God 
condescended himself and became a little baby growing inside the womb of a young Jewish girl and was born and his little arms were flailing, he had to be wrapped up in swaddling cloths. And it is a miracle that God became a man. And the reason, let me just, I'm, I'm a bit of a teacher, so let me take a few minutes just to explain to you why, why did God come to earth? And people often look around the world, and maybe many of us have asked this question. We see a world full of suffering and injustice and crime and people being hurt, and we say, God, if there is a God, if there is a God of love, why doesn't he do something about all the suffering in the world? I want to say, my friend, if you understand what Christmas is all about, God has done something. He could have stayed in heaven in the celestial tranquility and the majesty and ambience of heaven, but he voluntarily chose to come to this earth and to voluntarily enter into our suffering. And he was known as a man of sufferings and acquainted with grief because everywhere he went, he saw the injustice and the wickedness and he saw the religious hypocrisy, and it made his stomach churn, and it grieved him to his very core. And he lived that life, and he was known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The reason he had to come to earth is that when God set this whole world up, he basically made one very simple law. He said, I'm God. I made you. I'm your source your energy, your vitality, your morality, everything you need flows from me. Just recognize that I'm God and you're not and everything will be carpi. <laughs> Turn your back on me and there are very, very dire consequences. And the sad history of humanity is that is what everyone has done. They have turned their back on God and we've all been there and we've thought, God, I know better. God, I want to do it my way. And let me tell you, friend, there is no way but Yahweh. It is His way. <laughs> there is a way that seems right to man, the Bible said, but the end is destruction. So God saw the calamity that was happening upon the earth, and He knew the penalty for you know, breaking that one simple law was death and separation from God from, throughout all eternity. But that brought a great challenge to the heart of God because he still was committed to his creation. He loved his creation. We we're all his kids and God wanted to forgive, but God just can't go, oh well, let's act like it never happened and sweep it under the carpet. If he did that, he would not be just. So Adam might have said to Eve, honey, I really love you. Man, we're both blowing this. I tell you what, I'm going to die for our sins. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And God would say, hang on, Adam, you can't. You need to die for your own sins. And Eve would say, honey, no, I should have, you know, I should have not brought you over to this tree in the first place and it's my fault and um, I'm going to die for you. And God says, hang on, Eve, you're not, you're not worthy. Only the sinless can die for the sinner. And you see, they reproduce sinful kids after their own kind. And Adam couldn't die for Eve and Eve couldn't die for Adam. And Cain and Abel now are becoming sinners and they couldn't die for their mum or their dad. And if Eve couldn't die for Cain and Cain couldn't die for Abel, Abel didn't stick around too long. His brother killed him. <laughs> well, if man can't die for man, then the only solution to the calamity that had hit the earth was that God himself would have to die for his own creation. But the only problem with that is God being God. He is immortal. God can't die. We can. We're mortal. God is immortal. God cannot die. 
So the sinfulness of man necessitated the invisible, all-powerful, eternal God had to come right down into our little world and become a baby and become a man so that he could voluntarily become mortal and voluntarily die for our sin. So Jesus was born so that he could die. I mean, what a destiny. His destiny was to die. And when people tried to stop him from heading toward the cross, he rebuked them and said, get behind me, Satan, because he so loved humanity. He was so committed. He said, for this purpose, I have come that I lay down my life for the sin of the world. And nothing held him back from fulfilling his destiny of getting to Jerusalem and being crucified and hung up to die and to suffer for the sin of the world. So our sinfulness necessitated God becoming a man. And, you know, this whole thing wasn't accidental. It was pre-planned. And, you know, in the Bible, there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scriptures where these Old Testament prophets like, you know, Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and Joel would talk about the coming Messiah. And uh, if we can bring up this uh, quote that I have, it talks about um, the fact here there are more than 300 references to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and 109 of them literally fulfilled during Christ's first coming, the chance being one in billions by the law of averages. We just flick over to the next one there. With this being so, it leaves us no doubt that the remaining two-thirds of Old Testament prophecy concerning the second coming, that they will also be literally fulfilled. So in this book that we hold here this morning... Over 300 prophecies to Jesus Christ, stuff like saying he would be born of the seed of the woman. He would come through the lineage of Abraham. King David would be his great, 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 great grandfather. He would be born at such and such a time. And it even tells us where he would be born. It says his birthplace would be in Bethlehem. And it's interesting that the name Bethlehem means the house of bread. And for Jesus, who referred to himself as the bread of life, I mean, you've got to have a kai, you've got to have your rewana bread, eh? Got to have your bread, got to have bread with your kai. Jesus said, just like physical bread is to your physical body, I am spiritual bread to your spiritual body. I am the bread of life. And how fitting that he would be born in Bethlehem, which meant the house of bread. The Bible predicted that when he was born, even his birth would cause such a threat to the political Roman Empire, there would be assassination attempt upon his life, and that all of the districts around Bethlehem, there would be a massacre, and thousands and thousands of innocent kids died as a result of Jesus coming into the world. Such was the power of this child that Herod was threatened, and if you read the account there, this murderous plot happened. The Bible talks about his sinless life. It talks about you know, him raising the dead, you know, healing the brokenhearted, opening blind eyes. It talks about him being betrayed by his enemies, sold for 30 pieces of silver, being quiet when he stood before his accusers, and as a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It talks about him being whipped. It talks about him having his beard pulled out, crown of thorns, beaten over the head with a rod, scourged, crucified among criminals, buried among dead people, 
talks about the eclipse of the sun, talks about being buried for three days, prophesy that he would be raised on the third day, that he would ascend back to heaven, and one day he would come again in glory and power. All of this, my friend, was prophesied hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before it happened. If God is big enough and powerful enough to bring all of those ends together, that when Jesus needed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem, the donkey was there. When the Roman soldiers said, come on, it's the Passover tomorrow. We can't have these criminals on the cross during the holy day. Let's break their legs. And they smashed that guy's legs. They smashed that guy's femur bone with a mallet. They came up to Jesus. and They thought, hang on. I don't think we'll do it. I don't know why. We won't do it to him. Unbeknown, there was an ancient prophecy that says not one of his bones will be broken. And the guy just thought, oh man, I just, what's the spear doing? I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just check. And he got a spear and he rammed it in between his ribcage and blood and water came out. Zechariah prophesied that we would look upon him whom they have pierced. They'd pierce his side, his hands and feet. All of this was accurately predicted hundreds of years before its fulfillment. God is so great. He is active, he is real, he is present, he is powerful. And if he can bring all of those ends together to make sure Jesus was in the right place at the right time to fulfill his destiny and never once violate the free will of man in the, in the equation, how brilliant is our God? And I want you to be encouraged this morning that God sees your life and he's got a plan for your life and he is able to bring the right people at the right time and give you the right skill set and position you to be a person of influence. Isaiah told us, it says, uh, you know, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. And it's interesting in that passage there, it says, unto us a child is given. Speaks about the humanity of Christ, that he was born as a human being. But then it says, unto us a son is given. He came as the Son of Man, but he also came as the Son of God. And in the one person of Jesus Christ, there were two natures. It was his human nature, just like us. He had to go to the bathroom. If you cut him, he would bleed red blood. If he stayed up late, he would get tired. He was every bit as human as us. But what he had that we didn't have, he was also had a divine nature. He was God wrapped up in skin. So the prophet said, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the empire, the government, the rulership of the galaxy will rest upon his shoulders. How marvelous is the Bible? How wise is our God? I want us to look at a, a verse that will come up on the screen in the uh, prophet Micah, a little book in the Old Testament, only six chapters. And one day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to sit down and have a kai. And you're going to look up and you say, Kia ora, bro, what's your name? He's going to go, oh, Kia ora, I'm Micah. You go, no way. You're not that Micah that wrote that book in the Bible. He said, yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh, mean cuz. Um, and he'd go, dude, did you read? Uh, he said, Ned, did you read my book in the Bible? And he'd go, oh, shame, I didn't. <laughs> so make sure that you read these little books before you get there. So when you meet, you know, Job or whoever, you know, when he says, did you read my book? You can say, oh, no, it was awesome, bro. <laughs> And this guy, uh, Micah, he's writing along, and this beautiful little verse, and I can't help but read this verse in a Scottish accent, because years ago, 
there was an old Scottish preacher by the name of Angus McCauley, and my dad gave me some of his tapes. And I remember him preaching on this verse, and it says, I'll quote it to you in King James. He says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, that's the ancient, that's the ancient name of, of Bethlehem. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou art little among the thousands of Judah. <laughs> you see, Bethlehem was just a little town, just a little village. There were bigger villages and bigger towns and more influential places. But the prophet had this insight. And he says, don't ever worry about the fact that you're just a little village. Oh, I just come from Mangri. Oh, I just come from Rewa. Oh, I'm a nobody because I just, you know, you know, born in, you know, East Tamaki or Pakaranga and no one great's come out of there. The prophet says, but though Bethlehem, though thou art little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth one to me. Oh, glorious. Shall come forth one to me. My friend, what are you coming forth for? Are you coming forth for yourself and your own reputation? Jesus came forth for the glory of God. He came forth from the house of bread. Out of thee shall come forth one to me to be the ruler in Israel. He is the rightful ruler of our lives. And then the prophet says, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. You see, Campbell Bond was born on the 23rd of December. You might want to write that date down. <laughs> 23rd of December 1970 that, that, that was my commencement but I started but the prophet he says out of Bethlehem will come forth one to me whose goings forth are from old from everlasting you see when Jesus came to earth he wasn't created he was literally he just took on the form of man and when he took on the form of man, he had always existed millions and millions and billions and trillions of years before. There was always God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in a wonderful harmony of a relationship. And they were giving each other high fives and enjoying the, the beauty of heaven. But just like parents, you know, when we got married and we had a wonderful time, and had a honeymoon and had three years of marriage. And after the three-year mark, I said, oh, man, we're enjoying each other. We've got such a good thing going here, honey. Wouldn't it be great to have like a little Campbell Bond? Oh, it'd be awesome. Put him on a BMX bike, teach him how to do skids and wheelies. You know? <laughs> have a little daughter, put her on a boogie board and push her in on the waves. Because I've done that stuff all my life, you know, and it's great and I enjoy it. But how much more satisfaction to see other people enjoy the little, the aroha that we have in our little fuddy at home, you know, and the warmth and the community, and oh, I reckon they love it. And God is the same. And he said, Jesus, you're awesome. Holy Spirit, you're awesome. Wouldn't it be awesome to make some little finite creatures in our image and likeness, little people that can love us and enjoy us, and we can relate to them, and we can put our spirit in them, and they can rule over this beautiful paradise that we've made for them. That was always God's intention. And of course, we know the history of mankind is man says, I think God, I know better than you. I'll do it my way. And God's seen this thing turn very, very sad. How marvelous it is that uh, every detail of Jesus Christ's life was foretold thousands of years before it happened. Do you know um, when Jesus was born, uh, Wise men, the Bible says, came from the east, which is ancient Persia. And it says wise men, and we normally have in a nativity scene, we three of them, but it doesn't say there were three. There, there could have been 15. This was an de international delegation of some of the rich 
powerful you know, people on the earth who came from the Persian Empire, so powerful when they came to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, they started saying, where is the Christ child? Where is the Messiah? News of this had came to the highest political leaders of the day. The religious leaders had a council and they started to search the scriptures to say where the Messiah was going to be born. And they said it's in Bethlehem in Judah. And Herod was so threatened that he put out an edict to try and kill every child under the age of two. All of that was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. I was listening years ago to a wonderful, born-again, spirit-filled Christian businessman by the name of Peter Daniels. He's an Australian Christian entrepreneur and a billionaire. Leads a very successful real estate corporation. And years ago, he was reading that verse and he said they brought to Jesus gold, frankincense and myrrh. And he thought, you know what? I think this is more than a few little trinkets. And he charged one of his employees to go away and to study and to go back and to look into the annals of history and to the museums and the libraries and back into Persia and the empire and to study it and to see if he could find anything in history. After a few weeks, the guy came back and said, I can't find anything. Peter said, hmm. He said, go and look again. I'll pay you one year's salary. Go there and research. He researched it, and this is what Peter Daniels said. Uh, after a year of research, they did find something, and they found that it was valued at US $400 million in today's terms. Um, so these guys were superpowers. They were kingmakers. They were some of the wisest people on earth. And when they saw the star, they recognized this is the Messiah of Israel. This is the son of God. This is God eternal. And they didn't just bring a little trinket box. Here's a little bit of gold. Here's that $1 and a $2 coin. And there's some smelly stuff, Mary, for you. And there's some myrrh and there's some little things for you, Joseph. God bless you. Herod would not be threatened by that. These were kingmakers. It was a massive delegation. There was a religious council gathered, and Herod was so threatened. These were powerful movers and shakers. And I just think that ties in with what Pastor Paul was saying about God, money, and me. We think that Jesus was, was, you know, was poor. He had millions of dollars laid at his feet as soon as he was born. Now, um, that's not in the Bible, but that's what Peter Daniel says, so there you go. <laughs> Jesus said this in John's gospel. He said, the devil comes, the thief comes. He wants to steal. He wants to kill and he wants to destroy. The devil's very simple. He said, he wants to, first of all, he wants to rob you of your relationship with God. That's the first thing he wants to steal away from you. He wants to steal your freedom. In promising you freedom, it's like a train going, oh, I feel confined by these tracks. I feel restricted. and I want to express myself, my friend, if you take the train off the tracks, Arguably, it's free. Put that train on the gravel. It ain't going nowhere. You know, and the devil wants to rob you of your freedom while promising you freedom. He wants to kill you spiritually, kill you physically, and then damn your soul in hell forever. But Jesus said, but the reason I have come, the reason I have come is that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And our God doesn't want just, you, well, just your sins forgiven. That, that's it. And live a miserable life. That's it. You're not going to hell anymore. That's your lot in life. He says, no, I want you to have satisfaction. I want you to have peace. I want you to have blessing. I want you to have harmony and good relationships. I want you to do well and succeed and influence your world. Oh, I've come to give you life. And my friend, he spoke this to people who had biological life. 
They were alive. They were looking back at him. They were physically strong and able. He said, yeah, you've got biological life, but you do not have the life of God. You are biologically alive, but you're spiritually dead. And the Greek word here for life is zoe, which is the God type of life. Jesus said, I've not just come to give you biological life. I've already given you that. But I've come that you might have zoe, spiritual life, added to your biological life. And you know, you know, no matter what you get out for Christmas, what presents and what, what you get given, the greatest gift anyone can get for Christmas is to realize what is the reason of the season. And a beautiful picture I want to end with this morning. And um, Jesus was born. And eight days old, um, every Jewish man had a number of responsibilities. One was to have his uh, son, uh, firstborn, the children uh, circumcised. Uh, and they were to confer upon him the name that Gabriel had given. And they brought him down to the temple. And I want you to imagine this is a big, you know, temple. Uh, people coming and going, traffic, you know, jamming crowds. Lots of people, priests going about their business. And Mary and Joseph come in. And let's just say Mary's got baby Jesus in her arms. And she walks in and hundreds of people are walking past and busyness and, you know, but there's an old man there by the name of Simeon and he was a prophet. And God had said to him, Simeon, you're getting old, but let me tell you, you will not die until you have physically seen the Lord's Christ. And Simeon was in the temple that day and he saw Mary and Joseph and something leapt on the inside of him and he rushed over and he said, can I, can I? And Mary and Joseph looked at each other and said, I guess so, you look responsible and credible. And they passed Jesus over and old Simeon, he grabbed that child and he pulled that little Christ child, that innocent, holy child, pulled it in close to his chest and he said these words. He said, now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared from before the foundation of the world to bring light to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And here is a picture of Simeon. He's old, let's say he's 85 years old. He says, Lord, you can take me. I'm not afraid of death. I know what's beyond death. I get to be in your presence. He was a happy man. He was a content man because he had Christ in his arms. He had Christ in his heart. He was holding in his arms the salvation of the world. And everyone else just walked into the temple and didn't perceive it and didn't perceive it and didn't perceive it. And all around South Auckland today, millions of people are not perceiving the reality and the existence and the goodness of our God. They're blinded by everything else. But Simeon saw it and he perceived in that little eight-day-old infant wrapped up in swaddling cloths, the salvation of the world in a child. And God's greatest blessings to us Come in the person of Jesus Christ. What would be the point living in a million dollar house if you go to bed at night and you've got no peace in your heart? And I drive along the motorway, I walk through a, you know, trails in the woods, I go for a walk or I walk along a beautiful beach in the morning and I say, oh God, this is so beautiful. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of the Pahutakawa trees and God, this is just so beautiful and thank you Lord for the sunrise and Last Sunday night, I was heading home up Redoubt Road, and I just stopped, and I thought, oh, man, it was just a beautiful ambient light, and I just went for a walk through Totra Park and just, just enjoyed. God, this is so good. He's taking photos of the sun setting over, you know, the you know, west coast there, and just, the, the, just a beautiful night. And when I became a Christian, I felt like I fell in love with nature and creation because the Creator was in my heart. 
And often these days I go to bed at night and I was like, good night, honey, love you, love you, Cam. And, you know, and you're drifting off to sleep and I'm like, oh, God, under my breath, I'm just like, oh, God, you're so good. God, you're awesome, God. Thank you, Jesus. You're so, God, it's been nearly 30 years now and God, you just... Thank you, Lord. Thank you for my beautiful wife. Thank you for my daughter and my son and, Lord, our, our job at church. And thank you for our future. And, God, you're, you're so awesome. And, oh, God, I love you. And thank oh, Lord, I really do. I really love you, God. And just pray, Lord, help me to serve you all, all the days of my life. Help me to be faithful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's just it's that, it's that deep pillow talk in your heart, that warmth and that affection for God. My friend, have you got Christ in your arms like Simeon? And I want to say the most important thing you can do is grab hold of that, you know, of Christ like Simeon and pull him in close. And Simeon was rude. like, Mary, I don't care. Give me that child. He just wanted to hold. He wanted to have God close to his heart. And I can picture that in my mind, this old man with a big white beard, probably tears streaming down his face saying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. I ain't afraid of death because I've got the Prince of Peace in my arms. I've got the resurrection and the life in my arms. I'm connected to God. I've got the Messiah in my heart. We're going to get Christmas presents. But the greatest present is that God came to earth and became a man so that he could voluntarily die in your place so that God could be just in forgiving you of your sin so you could come back into God's family and not just have your sin forgiven, but to live a life of blessing and to one day we get to spend eternity in a glorious, eternal realm with God and we get to rule over nations and, ah, oh, it's beautiful. Float around, harps, <laughs> I don't know. You know no, it's, you know, it's going to be glorious. No more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more suffering, just as it always should have been. Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly. But you don't get that unless you have the Christ child in your arms and Christ in your heart. Let's bow our heads for a few minutes. I like to keep life very simple. The most important thing in life is loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength because God is so good and He is so infinitely good and infinitely kind and infinitely worthy. He, de he deserves our affection and our love. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that satisfaction. You don't have that peace. You don't have that warmth in your heart. Maybe you used to go to church. You used to love God and sing those songs, but stuff has happened and you've drifted far and you feel like you're an outsider.
We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.